Ready for some word today? Yeah, yeah. If you have a Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 6. I want to continue a, a series, new series of messages that we started several weeks ago called Kingdom Rules. These things are very, very important, very, very vital for our success in life. We've been basing it off of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, specifically verse 33, where he said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The things are represented in the context of that verse, and it's material things. It's natural needs being met. All right. All these things, but he very specifically mentioned the key, and that is seeking first the kingdom of God. Not just seeking anything else or anything we choose, but the kingdom of God. It's an easy math formula. I like it when things are real straightforward like this because I can be bold with it. I can be bold and have no apologies. You know, when, if I think it or if you think it out loud to me and say, I seek first the kingdom of God, but all my needs are left unmet. I have great need in my life. I can boldly with love and kindness look you in the eye and say, no, you don't. <laughs> And I don't have to be guessing because I've already committed myself to and have this resolve. If Jesus said it, it's true. Okay. I mean, I'm basing my eternity on this. I'm gonna, you know, when someone predicts their own death and resurre resurrection and then fulfills it, you kind of lean towards what they say. <laughs> and he did. And he said this about our, our, our lives. So we can't allow ourselves to think differently. Well, I'm really seeking first the kingdom of God, yet nothing's working out in my life. We have to say, I must not be like I think I am. There must be holes in my seeking. There must be, maybe my, the object of my seeking is not as precise or accurate as it needs to be. And we stay open to the Lord teaching us because he said, this will happen if you do this. Passion Translation reads, so above all, constantly seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. That's one of the words that characterizes our good, good father. And that is the word abundance, right? He provides for us abundantly. Now, we've been talking about the various rules that govern the kingdom of God. If we cooperate with those rules, then we will be able to thrive in this kingdom kingdom. The kingdom of God is very interesting. It's something that we see in Scripture can be, uh, can be known. It can be entered. It can be seen. It, uh, it can be inherited. It can be understood. It can be experienced. So as we describe the kingdom of God and its many multi manifold aspects and facets then we more and more should be able to refine what we're seeking. This, oh, that's what it is. I'm going after that. For example, last week we spent time uh, teaching about the principle of the seed. The kingdom of God operates on that principle of, of seed. 
Okay, if I'm going to seek first the kingdom, and now I have that knowledge that that's a governing rule in the kingdom, I should begin to see my actions, my words, my faith, all these things as seed. That if I, if I desire a certain outcome, I should plant seeds that go that direction. Right? And I should see what I do even today, coming to church. That's my going to church seed. Faithfulness to God, available to Him seed, right? And you might be able to describe it in, in, in other ways than that. But I, if I smile at you, I just sowed a smile seed. <laughs> Sometimes those reap instant harvests, Amen. right? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but if I give to someone, not, am I, not only am I doing it because of love and concern or help for someone else, but I'm also sowing a love seed. I'm sowing a, give, a, a financial seed. I, everything we do is that way. I would encourage you to sow some good seeds today on purpose. Not just, not, I'm not just talking about in the offering. That's one way. Sow them with people. Help people. Serve people. Sow those kind of seeds. If you sow some bad seeds... Have you ever done that? <laughs> if not, well, then you're sowing lying seeds right now. Because <laughs> we've all sown things, meaning we've said word seeds, said things to other people that we, ah, I shouldn't have said that. Or we've acted or done things in such a way that we're, we don't want the harvest up, up from that. I think we ought to jump on it immediately when we do it. As soon as we recognize, you know, that's not really what I want to reap in life. The way I just treated that person. So if you can talk to them and undo it, if you can take it back in some way or at least say to the Lord, ah, sorry, I shouldn't have said that, should have done that. I want to pick that thing. I want to pull that little weed out of the ground or dig up the seed before it even becomes a weed, right? I'd rather not wait till it becomes an oak tree. And now I'm trying to undo all those things that have... It's become well established in my heart. Praise God. And so we, we are seed minded, and, and that's part of seeking first the kingdom of God. I, I want to look at a particular passage uh, there in Matthew. If you'll just turn to the right to chapter 18. Matthew 18, or click to the right, or swipe to the right, or whatever you do. Uh, Matthew 18. Beginning in verse 1, 18, 1. It reads, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, now, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Is that a bad question or is that okay? I can kind of see if you read how the disciples sometimes interacted with each other and with the Lord that there was a lot of self-interest in mind. They were jockeying for position at times. And so maybe the motive is not pure. Uh, nevertheless, it's not completely a bad question. Who's, uh, who's the greatest in the kingdom? It's not, t- I mean, we plan for our future. We want to get ahead. We want to, you know, occupy a good space in the, in, in the future. And, and, and Jesus uh, didn't didn't uh, rebuke them regarding this. He didn't say, "What are you talking about? Who's greatest in the kingdom? Everyone's the same." You notice he didn't say that. 
He didn't say, there's no greater and lesser. Actually, there are. There is hierarchy, if you will, in the kingdom of God. We see it, it's true in angels. It's true in, in, it's true in the kingdom of darkness. It's true in the Godhead. It's, there is, and, and Jesus didn't say no one's great and no one's lesser. No, that's actually real. There are people in, in the kingdom of God, both on earth and in heaven, that some are greater than others. Now, the, the one comforting thing I think we should all be reminded of that is that heaven is heaven for everybody who's there. Heaven is not hell for anybody. It's like, I really ruined my life, I ruined my opportunity, and now I'm in heaven. <laughs> no, so there's no sorrow, there's no, uh, that's not going to be our existence in, in heaven. But nevertheless, some will have greater reward, we know that. Yeah. There'll be greater rewards in heaven, and some will be elevated to greater positions of authority and responsibility in heaven and recognition in heaven. Yeah. And so when we see uh, the Lord talking about who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven, we should take that to heart and say, okay, this is a big deal. This is, this is well, it's my present and it is my future. And so if I can be greater or lesser, I might as well just be greater. You know, if I could be stronger or weaker, I'll take stronger. If I could be richer or poorer, I'll take richer. Everybody with me? If I could be sick or healthy, I'll take healthy. I'm always going to take what's better. That's logical. That's not ungodly, by the way. That's the way that God is. Okay. So again, he didn't say that this doesn't exist. Uh, verse 2 then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is quite a powerful statement that Jesus made. I want to I look at it slowly. First, first, he said, you have to be converted. We, we could say changed. Can you change? Yes. <laughs> anybody here open to change? Or is anybody set in your ways? Bless God, I'll go to that church today, but they're not going to change me. <laughs> well, if that's your attitude, you're probably right. You're a prophet. <laughs> you're correct. But I'm posing... I'm posing the question because the possibility you might want to consider um, like not being that way. I mean, it's voluntary. No one's going to make you. God won't make you change. But if we have an attitude towards God or bless God, we're digging in our heels and I'm just, this is the way I am. It's the way I've always been. And I believe what I believe and you can't talk me out of it. Wow. It stinks to be you. Why? Because there's no growth that can happen. There's no... Availability. God can't even work in your life. Change is something we, uh, I mean, we don't want to change for no good reason. We don't want to be gullible and just accept every thought, idea that comes our way. But we should be open to, to being different. Well, I grew up in this family. Okay, that's fine. You grew up however you grew up, but we can change. Are you open to it would be the question. And then, then do you believe it's possible? There are some that what, you might yield to my first question, say, I would sure like to change, but I've tried changing. I've, tried, I've got these habits. I've got these patterns. 
It was in my, my parents. It was in my grandparents. I don't think I can break the cycle. Well, you, maybe you can't. But I tell you, God in you can. Amen. You might not be able to work up enough willpower and strength on your own to, you know, to change course in your family and in your, uh, you, you know, your kids' families and so forth after you. But God in you can. If you could, it, sometimes we say to him, I'm insufficient of myself, but you are my sufficiency. Amen. I'm not strong enough, but you in me, I am strong enough in you. Amen. Yeah. And start having some faith some belief in God that he can work in you and you can break bad habits. You can change the way it's always been. Praise God. Praise God. It's so very true. No matter what the situation is, I've tried to change 1,200 times. Well, now let God work in you. If you say, well, I've tried to do that before. Again, stop answering with a no. Seriously, answer with a yes. And say, Lord, you know I've tried this a hundred times, whatever, and I've been unsuccessful, but I believe you can in me. I like Philippians 2. It is God who works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's not me working and God watching. It's God working in me. And with him working in me, you can take, you can take, (laughs) it's amazing what he does, what he does. That's what so many stories in this book are all about. Him taking someone unqualified, unable, ill-equipped, with a poor background, turning their life around and makes them something new. I'm just saying we have to be open to the idea. Amen. And we got to believe that it's possible. Because Jesus said, if you're going to be great, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, he said, if you're even going to enter the kingdom, you have to change. You have to be converted, is, is, is the word there, the language. That's another thought. Can a grown man or woman become like a child? Because that's the direction he told us to change. Anybody, anybody any, gro- any grown ups here? <laughs> any, any grown ups in the house? What's our change of direction? To become like children. Say, so well, I've been working my whole life to become not like a child. People tell me I'm like a child, and I, <laughs> you need to grow up. <laughs> Listen to the words of the Lord. You need to become like Children. Now, in what way do we want to do that? Certainly, we don't want to emulate them in knowledge or maturity. It's not understanding that we're trying to, you know, devolve to, right? We want to come up. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 20 reads this way Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however, in malice be babes. But in understanding, be mature. Okay, so malice would be, it's often translated uh, evil. Other Bible translations use the word evil there. He said, don't be uh, mature or like children in this way. Or do be like them in this way. Like them in malice. Be a baby concerning evil. What does that mean? experience, knowledge of it. We're like kids. We want to be more like them as opposed to, I know everything bad. Some people actually value their experience with evil things. Well, it was a good teaching ground. It's not. You know, the school of experience, they say, is a great teacher, but the tuition's too high. Right? 
and so we don't want to be experts in evil. It's kind of like you go back to the Garden of Eden. Remember they were told not to eat of a certain tree? That tree was called the knowledge of good and evil. What was the Lord trying to say there? It's not that he wanted to keep, away from knowing, keep them away from knowing good things. He didn't want them to know about evil things. He didn't want them to know dark stuff. To have that stuff exist in their, in, in, in their thinking. This is how we should be like children. Children have this innocence about them. They are corrupted when they hear evil things. That's why a, a wise parent does everything they can to keep their children innocent. Keep them innocent. They, they don't, you want to teach them, you want to educate them, but you don't want them to know all the bad stuff, do you? You want to spare, we try to keep them from it as long as possible. I like for kids to get as old as possible and they don't have a clue about all kinds of negative stuff. Which you have to be so watchful these days, especially if you have kids in the public school. Uh, not only is it the association of other kids whose parents don't, don't guard any of their screen time, and they're telling your kids, or if you don't, <laughs> uh, but even schools now, not our times are, not nowadays are pushing stuff. They're teaching stuff that is like, one, it's like adult, but two, it shouldn't even be taught to adults. And at a very young age, they're teaching all this stuff to confuse them sexually. And, and, and there's like, these are children. Let's let their minds be pure and innocent and let them go kick the ball. You know what I'm talking about? But it is in that way that Jesus is setting this up as an ideal. Okay? The innocence of, of, of children. Amen. You know, there's a... Even with, with what children see nowadays on, on television and, and other mediums, I think sometimes we assume that what they're watching is innocent. This is not harmful because it come, comes from Disney. I know, we know kids who have nightmares because they watch Disney programs. Kids are tormented in the night because of Disney. Oh, it's just Disney. Yeah, and every... Practically, it seems like every show has a witch or has a demon in it. it has, has, there's so many dark themes. To, I'm not saying they can't watch any of it. You be, for parents, you be the judge, and, and, but know what they're look, looking at. Because they assume that everything's good because it's got this family-friendly name on it. Family-friendly by whose definition? I think we want to keep them innocent as much as possible. Right? So as far as our emulating kids and changing to become like them, again, not in certain ways. Paul described children in Ephesians 4 as those who are tossed to and fro. When it came to doctrine and following different beliefs, he said, we need to grow up and not be tossed like that. But in, 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 what, in what way is Jesus presenting this? Think about kids, how quick they are to enjoy things, how quick they are to laugh. It's a serious problem how much kids laugh and how much adults don't. Yeah. <laughs> how we, because, why, why, why do kids laugh so much, so frequently, and it just trails off with, as they grow older? Well, it's because we learn and become experts in evil. Yeah. More malice, the more evil we know, the more... The more depressed, the more heavy, 
the more we're carrying the weight of life. And the kids don't know about it. <laughs> they just laugh and have a good time and quick to enjoy things. It's like, don't you know about how bad the world is? You want to, you want to straighten some of these kids out. Don't you know about taxes? We got bills to pay. Would you wipe that smile off? You know there's war? There is war! No, we want to spare them from all that stuff because what they have is desirable. It's, it's what we want. Kids are often quick, like I said, to laugh, to dance, to sing. They're just singing a song and just enjoying. They don't care who hears them. And they're just, they're just having fun. When we were, uh, when our youngest, Wendy, was uh, about one years old, we were on a vacation in, at a beach. We were sitting there hanging out at the beach under the umbrella and not too far away from the water, but uh, she decided she wanted, you know, she's one, but she's, she wanted to go to the water, so uh, we could see her, so, you know, close enough where we let her go, and I, I remember watching her, because I, I put a video on her, and, uh, and I watch her, she starts, you know, she starts, or she just starts walking on the sand, and someone up close to us, in front of us a little bit, had, a, had music playing out of a, you know, little boom box, and uh, she gets over close to that, and, 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 and she, she hears the music, and she just stops. And, <laughs> and then kept, kept going, <laughs> Walk, walking all, all the way to the beach. Why did she stop and do a little dance right there? I don't know, but I wonder if the rest of us should do that too. You know, kids laugh, and they have fun, and then we, we grow up, and we come into church, and the music is lively and the beat is good and the bass player is doing his thing and, and we come in here. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I love the Lord. Our feet don't even move. I think maybe we're supposed to be a little bit more like the kids. Loosen up. Just get a little bit more free. Huh? Just allow yourself to feel it a little bit and enjoy, be happy. I think church is sometimes one of the worst places. That sounds bad. (laughs) One of the worst places for people to not be like kids when the master, the Lord Jesus is the one who said, be like them, change and become like them. And these are some of the areas I think we should, we should follow. Let's smile. Let's laugh. Let's have fun. Yeah, but problems, but tax. Have you seen the price of gas? Have you, have you seen the housing market? Have you, have, you, have you seen some of these things going on? What about war? Yes, but we're supposed to be able to deal with that in a godly way. And not let that stuff burden us. Not let it overwhelm us. In fact, because we know it, that might be one of the reasons Jesus said, you guys listen now, you need to become like children. Amen. Amen. Pastor Doug, look up, look up, what's the verses right before that? Is that where they got the taxes out of the fish's mouth? It might be. Just the, yeah. So the few verses later, that's when they paid their taxes. And then Jesus starts talking to them about being kids. <laughs> I was asking Pastor Doug at the end of last service, he said, tell me about the kids. 
when you were when he was ministering to the kids here all the time uh, about how easily they received, and he was saying like like healing and stuff, very easy to get the kids healed. They were just so open and receptive. You can see how we want to be like that yeah. instead of instead instead of nowadays, you know, sometimes so concerned about. Like if someone wants to bless you and give you something, they'll say, oh, no, I can't take that. Adults say that, right? Your kids don't say that. (laughs) Adults, oh, no, oh, no, I can't take that. I don't want to owe you. I don't want to feel like I owe you. Do you ever hear a kid say that? As you bring a new bicycle to them? Hey, I got you a new bicycle. Oh, I can't take that. I don't want to be obligated to you. I mean, no, before you even had that thought, they're riding away. Right? Would you like a cookie? And yet it's in their mouth. Right? Just quick to receive. There's some of the things that are admirable about them. We ought to be, want to be more like that, not less like that. How I many kids aren't worrying about germs? Come on, parents, you know that's true. There's no 10-second rule. It could be there for 10 days. That looks good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But now we know better, right? We know about germs and stuff. And we're... There's stuff in the air that'll kill you. You can't touch anything. I don't know. Are we better off? Makes me wonder, without looking for it, someone has probably already done a study that shows. I'm just guessing right here again. So, not again, first time I'm guessing today. <laughs> I like to say with solid things. Someone has probably done a study that if you remain unencumbered with worry and care and, and you stay happy and joy, that it helps your immune system. Yes. Yes. So look one up. There's probably one out there. Or don't look it up and just say, I'm going to go do this anyway. Because it usually takes thousands of years for people to find out God is right. His word is true. It's been true all along. We just didn't have a study. Didn't have a, a survey. He was just right. So without the study, we can say, I'm going to start acting more like my kids in this way. This innocence. This uh, happy life. Amen. You know, years ago... Uh, there was a, a kind of a move in, in certain parts of the body of Christ where uh, people would laugh in church. Some of you have been a part of that? I know we've had times, I've been a part of things like that where it just you laugh and it's not because you're laughing at a joke or something's funny. It's just the spirit of joy would come upon people. Okay. Usually when there's a move of God, there's always flesh involved, so people criticize and you know, griping about things that I don't, I think they're extreme in that. But seriously, extreme about what? Getting happy? I mean, if, if anyone's an heir, probably not too bad of an heir, right? How much do you think we're going to laugh in heaven? Do you think it would, if we did a study, do you think it would emulate more children or more the average adults as far as frequency? I think it's going to be more like the children. We're going to think all kinds of things just are just worthy of a laugh, worthy of a smile. Again, in church, this should be primary. 
Yeah. Happy, fun, enjoy it. Not, not we couch all of our depression with sad music. Sometimes churches nowadays, that's what they do. The worship leader's secretly depressed. And so all the music is kind of slow and... <laughs> Instead of put a skip in your step. Amen. Verse 4. Verse 4. Jesus continued here. He said, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus call this behavior of a child, this attitude? He calls it humility. What is the reason sometimes we don't laugh and smile and sing and, and you know, move with the music? And What's the reason for all that? Pride. Pride is ugly. He said, humble yourself like, a, like, like one of these children. They're not so concerned about what everybody thinks about them. Not trying to protect their image. They're just going to enjoy. So we can learn humility from children. And according to Jesus, by the way, he told us to do this so we can. And he said, this is what makes people great. It's not, that sounds strange, doesn't it? This is what makes people great in the kingdom of God. We think, no, nah, I, I need to study hard and long and be really disciplined and, 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 and really dedicated and self-sacrificing. And listen, those are good words. That's why it makes sense to the mind. That's the main thing. The more serious, the more monk-like I, I look. Right? That's not what Jesus said. Humility. Praise God. Everybody okay? I used up all my time for half of my message. Let me summarize. <laughs> Let me give you the next little part in a... Uh, in a short, shortened version. It's in Matthew 20. And I'll, let me summarize. Uh, sons of Zebedee came. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to the Lord and tried to get them a great position in his kingdom. I want one of my boys to sit here next to you and I want the other boy to sit over here next to you. And, and, and Jesus basically t- told them in short, he said, that's been prepared by my father. That's not mine to give. And then he took the opportunity as, again, they're jockeying for position and wanting place and wanting him to promise them great things. And he, and he began to teach them about how things are in the world, in this earth, earthly kingdoms versus the kingdom of God. Okay? And what he told them, and this is, this is Matthew 20 now, verse uh, 25. You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He said, I'm the example in this, but if you want to be great in the kingdom, this is what you do. You serve people. You don't try to set yourself up. You don't try to achieve the highest 
position of authority, you say, what can I do for you? Can I help you with anything? Can I, can I assist you? How can I make your life better? Can I pray for you? Can I do, do something for you? You need anything? You need any money? You need any? Well, what can I do for you? It's the attitude, the heart of servanthood. You come to church and you say, hey, a lot going on around here. Can I help in any way? Is there anything you guys need me to do? I could help in the parking lot. I could help with the ushers. I could help with the kids. I could help with, you have specialized gifts and talents. I could help with these areas. It's not just about what can I get out of it. It's what can I do? How can I serve someone else? Jesus says, you are awesome in the kingdom. You are, the, you are the, one of the great ones in the kingdom of God. God sees that heart and that activity and he values it. When John the Baptist, if you, don't, if you know John the Baptist, he was the forerunner to Jesus. He, he, his ministry started before Jesus and he preached the kingdom and he called people to repentance and he baptized them and he was a mighty man of God and had a huge following. And then when Jesus came on the scene and, and, and Jesus said, you know, you have to baptize me. And Jesus filled with the Spirit, did his 40-day fast and prayer time in the wilderness, came out in the power of the Spirit. And what happened is a lot of John's followers left John and started following Jesus. Now, typically to the, to the person who's not kingdom-minded, but they are self-minded, their own kingdom, if you will, they push back against that. They fight against that. Oh, he's taken my church. My offerings are down. My attendance is down. I'm, doing my, I'm preaching to a much smaller crowd. What are we, we going to do? We got to get these people back. John did not think that way because he valued the kingdom of God, not his self-promotion. And he, he, he told them uh, when they came and said, everybody's following the, Jesus now. He, he said, uh, let's see. It's John 3. He said, you yourself, verse 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. How many... How many would think that concerning their own life and success and if they're going down and someone else is going up? But this is what made John the Baptist so uh, great in the kingdom. In fact, Jesus said there have been no one great. Of all the prophets, no one has been as great as John the Baptist. And you can see it in his character. He's not threatened by Jesus getting bigger and his ministry getting smaller. He's saying, this is the way it's supposed to be. He couldn't do that unless it was God working in him anyway, unless it was granted to him from heaven. He, he applauded it. So I say, we take that same attitude towards others' success. When other people are exalted and lifted, we're not fighting back. We're saying, well, that's great. Praise God for that. That must be a blessing of the Lord on their life. Yeah, but they're taking some of your market share. Well, if God's given it to them, then bless them. Amen, amen. John had no ambition of his own. He wasn't seeking to get credit for these things. He was just happy when others got ahead. In the body of Christ, how many know churches, real churches, 
are not supposed to be against each other or competing with one another, but we're all on the same team. If one church grows and reaches more people and another church is, is reaching less, what should they do? Rejoice. Because if we win, we, the body of Christ around the planet, we win. Whether we personally get any credit for it or not, big whoop de doo The body of Christ wins. God wins. Amen. These are the things that the Lord taught us. This is how we should think. These are the rules that govern the kingdom. And uh, if we are going to seek first his kingdom, then this tells us, this is what I'm seeking. I'm seeking these principles for myself, becoming more humble like a child and seeing how that manifests. When it comes to others doing well or God promoting others, this is how I respond to that. In the words of the master, these people are great in the kingdom of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray today. Father, thank you for working in us now, for the gifts and mighty outpourings of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the mighty working of your, of your word, of your principles, of the kingdom rules in our lives. Thank you. You're enable us, enabling us to live our lives to the full, to walk in the fullness of your blessing and your best all of our days.